Welcome to the Economic Rockstar Podcast with your host, Frank Conway. Connecting brilliant minds in economics and finance. Hello, Frank Conway here and thank you for joining me today on Economic Rockstar. This episode is going to be a little different to previous episodes. I'm going to take this opportunity to review some of the key moments that our guests have given us today on Economic Rockstar. I've personally learned a lot from the guests I've had on the show. What I'd like to focus in on today are the personal habits and the advice our guests have given us on each episode. But before I delve right in, I'd like to share with you a story that I've encountered a couple of days ago. And it got me thinking in terms of the theoretical foundation or the ideology that underlines the whole economic theory. And that's the ideology that man is rational. Economics is a social science, and the term homo economicus is a central theme to which the study of modern economics has evolved and is considered to be first found in the 19th century works of John Stuart Mills. Economic man or homo economicus represents a rational person who aims to maximise their abilities in order to seek an optimal or best outcome, and such a rational person is considered self-interest and is destined to achieve their targeted aims irrespective of its undesirable effects on others. It appears straight off that economics tends to be one whereby no one has any compassion for others. I do understand that economics may be considered a dismal science, and hence some of the comedy that we've actually had on previous episodes to try to unlock that belief. However, Adam Smith wrote, It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. In other words, humans are rational beings. We are self-interested, and any of the products and services and goods that we are actually providing to people is due to a profit motive, and it's not out of the kindness of our hearts. And the reason why I want to share this with you is that um, a couple of days ago, I had the experience whereby I left a coffee shop here where I live in Waterford. People may know the brand Waterford Crystal, and outside was a, a beggar, and it was a cold day. And as I left that coffee shop, I had to look back. And I felt that this guy obviously must be hungry and thirsty and hears me enjoying a, a cup of coffee. So I asked him if he wanted a cup of coffee and I went in and bought a coffee and a scone. And he was very, very grateful. The following day I was in Cork, which is in the southwest of Ireland. And after two hours of parking, I went to pay for a ticket. The ticket cost 4.40, but I only had a €20 note. The machine stated it would not take €20 for any ticket that was billed for less than 880 there were a couple behind me and I let them go ahead. I told them it wouldn't take 20 euro and subsequently asked them would they have change of a 20 euro note. The female, I never got her name, turned around, handed me 5 euro and said Happy New Year. Initially I refused. I said my wife will be down soon enough. I'll have the change. And she goes, no, no, take it. And on reflection, I felt, is this the consequence of the action that I actually undertook the day before? Such selfless behaviour or altruistic behaviour has been largely absent in economics textbooks. I've ne- not necessarily have come across it before. I suppose most recently in behavioural studies, you wouldn't necessarily see that in economics textbooks. It's mainly about how to optimise efficient outcomes, how to maximise your profits, and identifying the most optimal outcome. And so a benevolent factor, something out of kindness or... Uh, something that you might end up seeing as a, a possible loss in economics, it could be seen as a loss, would not necessarily be recorded. So even though economics is a social science, this tends to take the aspect of kindness from the whole concept of how humans behave. So possibly I'd like to challenge the whole idea that man is particularly rational, known as homo economicus, that people are not necessarily out there to maximize their general wealth, even though there's nothing wrong with that either. But it's mainly about how to find efficient outcomes. Obviously, if you're in business and you're a capitalist or an entrepreneur, the main motive would possibly be profit, even though there are some philanthropists out there that would work for profit in order to return it. 
uh, such as, a, I suppose, a non-profit organization. Some of the guests that we've listened to in the past, such as Ryan Blair in episode 7 and Doug Goldstein in episode 10, has spoken about the philanthropy that they have signed up to. And I've, I've noticed that in some of the interviews that I've actually held with my previous guests, that behavior tends to come out a little by some of the questions I've been asking them. And I'd like to share them with you today. Hence, this episode is called The Personal Habits and Advice of Our Previous Guests. And let's take a listen to some of them now. The first common habit or advice that some of my guests have actually shared with us is about the importance of being mentored. Episode one, Jason Stapleton. I had kind of a vision in my mind of what I I wanted my life to look like. And I had this dream of coming home and, 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 you know, being in with my family and, and spending my mornings trading and then coming up and eating lunch with my kids and then going out and playing golf or something like that. And I realized uh, very quickly that that was not the life that I wanted and that, that I was very much a people person and spending my life in a basement, not talking to anybody, not interacting with anybody was, was not my idea of a good time. And so I started to shift my focus a little bit, and I had several conversations with uh, traders that I knew in the industry, and one of them uh, who had been a mentor of mine many years before that uh, was also teaching trading. And I asked him a little bit about it and how he liked it, and I said, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something like this because I'm interested in I, I just want, I, I want to be able to interact with people, and I think I can, I can help people, and, and I wouldn't mind doing something like that. So he said, yeah, that sounds great. Let me, I'll tell you what I know. And so over the next uh, year or so, he and I kind of talked through that process and what it looked like. And finally, I I don't know whether he approached me or I approached him, but basically we just said, Hey, I, I, you know, we kind of like working together and we got a good relationship. Uh, would you be interested in, in partnering? And uh, through that discussion, Todd Brown, who's my business partner, uh, he said, yeah. And so we, you know, we kind of put together this little company that ended up being Trade Empowered, which is the the company that I now manage with him. And we uh, we basically teach traders what we know and what we've learned, and and kind of the uh, try and build a roadmap for people who are interested in in doing it and doing it the way that we both did it. Episode four, Jadreen Wooten. So I kind of have a unique style that a lot of people don't understand, but. Yeah, it's pieces of all my past teachers. I'm I'm just a piece. I'm a collective piece of all of my former teachers. Episode 7, Ryan Blair. My stepfather, Bob Hunt, he taught me to be an entrepreneur, but he taught me even more than that. He taught me about, you know, just being forgiving and, uh, you know, uh, being a, a good person. He was a good man. Episode 9, Naomi Brockwell. And so I just, I actually emailed him and I said, listen, can I have a copy of your slides? Because I really loved your talk. And it ended up, we, we met at his office and I asked him all of these questions that were just so intriguing to me. I was so curious about this topic. He gave me this giant reading list of all of these books, including, you know, Hayek and Mises and Rothbard and all of these great texts. And I just went through and I read them all. So it was actually from him that he really got me so interested in this and now we run this Austrian economics reading group together. Episode 10, Doug Goldstein. Let me tell you a a great piece of wisdom. It's actually a a, a bit of Jewish wisdom that comes from 2,000 years ago from the the rabbis of the Talmud. And the sentence goes like this. It says, accept upon yourself a teacher, acquire for yourself a friend, and judge everyone favorably. And I think this is so, all three parts of that get a teacher, get a friend, and judge everyone favorably. Certainly, it applies so well in life. 
But in business, it's very important too, because when you're a business person, you need to have someone to, to bounce ideas off of. Don't ever think you're the one and that you know everything. Get yourself a teacher, a real mentor. And the second thing is acquire a friend, which may not be your mentor, but it's certainly someone who you can talk to and go over ideas with and, and you know, someone you'll see on a more regular basis. Episode 11, Steve Keen. And in a sense, I was mentored by a book. There's a wonderful book uh, out of print now called Dynamic Economic Systems by a guy called John Blatt, uh, who was a professor of applied mathematics and twice nominated for the Nobel Prize in physics. And his book, I think, was a, a mentoring experience for me, even though I never met the man. Apparently, he's actually a pretty, <laughs> pretty uh, arrogant man, from what I'm told. But the book is written so well, it's got a mentoring effect in how I approach the way that I did my economics. So his mentoring is extremely important. And I have you know, a number of students that I've played that role for. I think it's important not just in terms of intellectual mentoring, it's also partly an emotional thing because going through a learning process with something like economics is not just an intellectual exercise, it's also an emotional one. Episode 12, Joran Bowman. And people do fear change. And it's, it's unfortunate when they get to a certain age, uh, looking back, that they regret maybe not having taken alternative paths. For example, uh, what you were just saying there resonated with an obituary that I read about your grandmother, Helen Winter. If you don't mm. mind me saying, if you don't mind me quoting it, she, she was a she was a phenomenal woman who was the first to do so many things. And just reading a quote here that her philosophy was the longer we live, the more there is to learn and the more exciting it is to dig out the answers. Uh, according to this, throughout the course of her long life, she touched many people with her love, humor and, and integrity. So that that to me resonated to um, what you had said too was she much of an influence in your life yeah she was that was my my maternal grandmother helen winter um uh, who, who died died well, i guess five or ten five or ten years ago now um uh she was she was terrific yeah we, we were very close but i've been lucky enough to have a number of, of really positive influences on my life including my my grandmother helen winter my uh godmother betty tansy uh, and and my father my uh, my mother actually passed away when I was young, so uh, I grew up in an all-male household. It was me and my uh, year-and-a-half older brother and, and my father for as long as I can remember. Um, but we did have kind of these these strong strong women in our lives who um, who were really terrific and had a terrific influence on us. The second personal habit that I found was that our guests like to help others. Episode 4, Jadreen Wooten. I started seeing economics uh, around me in the same way that I've asked my students to do it. I've started to see it around me, and, and I kind of have a new passion for it each semester. Uh, so I really try to focus a lot of my effort and time outside of the classroom on, uh, on expanding economics to people who may not be taking it in school, uh, whether that's online or whether they're doing primarily research-related stuff. I'm just talking to them about you know, how economics can be used in their everyday life. Episode 7, Ryan Blair. Having a purpose is extremely important, and there's a number of components to, to what I think makes a good purpose, but that of of being able to serve other people, being, and in fact, in my purpose statement, I, I cite that my goal is to be able to help people overcome their own adversity, whether it be self-imposed or imposed by, imposed by others. Um, and I've largely done that. So it's, it's a cool thing to go back and reflect on. And it's something that will be with me for the rest of my life, and I'll, I'll simply plug away at that goal forever. I, 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 didn't, create, I didn't tell this story uh, or share my philosophies because I wanted to make money. I did it because I wanted to, you know, help people change their lives. Because certainly, I got lucky, and by by some great mentors and the grace of God, I'm a spiritual person. You know, I've now been able to make an impact and and live a better life than I ever dreamed possible. 
So I, I do love giving back as a result of that. Episode 9, Naomi Brockwell. If there's a way that I can engage other people in discussing economics, that would be, you know, an amazing uh, goal for me to achieve. That's sort of my, my aim, to engage people in lively discussions about economics and to get them interested in the subject because it's just so important for a really strong foundation in society that people become economically literate. The third habit and advice that I found was to talk to people. Episode 3. Aaron Lowry. It doesn't have to be a taboo topic. You know, so often money is viewed as something that shouldn't be discussed. You know, if you have debt, a lot of people consider that shameful. They don't want to talk about it. And then the situation continues to get worse. And if you feel like you can't talk to your loved ones about it or your close friends about it, then find a credible financial planner or a financial advisor or even if you need to go talk to your priest or your, your religious figure, someone that you can go talk to to kind of get the ball rolling. And if you have questions, don't be afraid to ask. Even if you think it's a really stupid question. Like, for example, a friend of mine recently did not understand the fact that when your credit card bill comes in, you're supposed to pay it off in full. She thought that the bank gave the minimum payment due because that was what was due. She didn't realize that the bank was doing that to kind of get you to trap you into paying them interest month to month. So even though her bill was only about $30, the bank said, oh, minimum due is 15 so she just paid the 15 And then came and asked me about it. And I was like, no, no, go pay it off in full. But if you have questions like that because something's confusing, then reach out to someone and ask and find someone you feel comfortable talking to. Episode 10, Doug Goldstein. At different stages in my life, I feel that I've needed different people. And they're not necessarily famous people. They might just be someone who was one step ahead of me in the game. And they were always, always open to talking to me. I think one of the things that a lot of people are afraid of, which I have now disproven on many fronts, is but many people are afraid of just picking up the phone and calling someone and saying, hey, could I sit down with you for 20 minutes? I've got a question about my business. I know you don't know me but I respect what you've done and I would really appreciate your opinion. And you can do that with people. And just the same way that Frank, you can probably and are getting great people on your show. You're going to be able to continue to do that just by asking. Fourth habit and piece of advice is to network and build your community. Episode three, Aaron Lowry. And it's really important for people who are coming into the business world or really any sort of job market that networking is so important. And a lot of people talk about, especially in the States, it's really hard for millennials to find jobs. There's high unemployment. And I think that part of it is even just take an informational interview. If there's a, an industry that you know you want to be in, just ask someone if you can go to lunch with them or go get a coffee with them. Because I tell you a secret, people love to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you can just get someone in a position where they're just talking to you and you're having an open dialogue, and then maybe they're going to remember you when there's a job opening at their company, or maybe a friend of theirs has a job opening and refers you. You know, it, it really does pay dividends. You just have to put in the time and the effort. Episode 8, Robbie Butler. At an informal level, it's great to be able to just sit down over coffee and um, talk about sport from, say, a sporting perspective, uh, ignoring the economics, and then maybe bringing in economic ideas um, and, you know, some of our coffee meetings can be quite vicious where people will, you know, completely dismiss what somebody is saying. Uh, but it's, it's a good sounding board for ideas. Episode 10, Doug Goldstein. Probably the most important thing that anyone needs to do in business is, well, I'm going to say it in two ways, but I think they're both the same. One of them is building your community. 
building a group of people that you can constantly be in touch with because those are the people that you'll work with and you want to make sure they're people you like. That's why I refer to it as a community and not just a network. Network is a little bit too scientific and maybe you want to have as big a network as possible like the whole internet. But you can't work with all those people. But if you have a community, people you're close with, I think that's that's really how you will ultimately succeed. Spend a lot more time focusing on what you can give to people than on what you can get from them. And I believe that's the, the path to success. Episode six, Andrew Heaton. And, and he'll just, you know, give me all these views and I can kind of play devil's advocate with him and really flush things out and kind of come up with my own opinion. So it's been great in terms of just intellectual development, knowing him. Uh, in terms of career development, uh, there too, Gene gave me a leg up in, uh, in the world of writing. He uh, let me do book reviews for Barron's, which was a, a nice feather in my cap, mm-hmm. and also paid my rent money for <laughs> yeah. about, about eight months, uh, for, for which I'm very much indebted. So it was a good boon to me. Episode three, Aaron Lowry. My mom tells us to do something called asking for the order. And before I continue, I do have to say my mom is a kind of person who can talk to absolutely anyone. Even if they don't speak the same language, I swear she can carry on a conversation with anyone. It's truly an, an amazing thing to watch happen. And I'm convinced if we ever dropped her in a forest that she would colonize a group of animals and be able to communicate with them. But she taught us something when we were kids where if we ever came home from school or from a sporting event or whatever and we felt that something had happened that wasn't fair, she said, well, did you ask for the order? And to her that just meant, did you tell them what you wanted? Because if you don't tell people what you want, they can't read your mind. And the worst someone can tell you is no. And that's not to say that you should ask for things that you don't deserve. But, you know, if you're, say that you're on a basketball team, you're working very hard, and you're not seeing much playing time, ask the coach. Say, hi, coach, you know, I'd like to go in the game more. Maybe you don't deserve to be a starter, but maybe you deserve five more minutes of play. Maybe he's just not thinking about it. And, again, the worst that someone can tell you is no. And I think that learning that at a very young age has really helped me, especially in freelance writing, because I just ask all the time, you know, oh, are you hiring? Oh, are you looking for contributors? And this really helped me uh, with AOL's daily finance is I was on Twitter Mm -hmm. and whoever I was managing their social media presence at the time tweeted an article at me. And I read the article. I responded to them. We got in a bit of a conversation back and forth on Twitter. And then I simply said, are you looking for contributors? And the response was, well, yes, we are. Send us your email. And, you know, that little exchange has led to a job with Daily Finance that has paid out thousands and thousands of dollars. And it was also just great exposure for me and my writing and my blog. And that certainly wouldn't have happened if I didn't ask for it. Episode six, Andrew Heaton. Uh, We had a a mutual friend uh, who put us in contact and uh, I... Um, went to a couple of events that he was speaking at and then reached out and contacted him and just asked if he would, you know, have coffee with me and kind of chat. And uh, he was an incredibly nice guy and, and sort of started inviting me to events. And uh, uh, we uh, uh, ended up hanging out. The fifth habit and advice is to create a vision and take risks. Episode seven, Ryan Blair. Don't get um, irrational or don't uh, allow short-term thinking to impact your long-term vision. Vision is just simply, you know, you, know, you go out into the future and you say, all right, what do, what do I see in my future? And if you don't like the house you're in, go out five years from now. Think of yourself with gray hair or, or grayer hair or think of yourself uh, at, that, at that destination point and then 
you know, ask yourself, what does your environment look like? What kind of house do you walk into? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of uh, friends do you have? What kind of uh, environment are you in? Uh, how are you contributing to people? Um, what life moments are you, are you, you know, looking back on five years from now, you know, to today, and you're excited about? Did you go on a trip to Bali, or did you, um, you know, donate a thousand hours of your life to charitable organizations? Did you get to see your son graduate, or your daughter graduate, or your grandchildren graduate? Um, and then, you know, I use that method basically to paint the pictures that I want in my life. And then in general, my subconscious and my conscious then, you know, has no choice but to pursue them because I really fall in love with the vision. And I do that for my company. I do that for my elements within my company, my technology, my product portfolio. I mean, you know, that, that's basically what, I, what I've done. Episode 10, Doug Goldstein. And I think the main thing that I learned was that when you're an investment advisor, you don't have any prophecy. There's nothing that you actually know about what's going to happen tomorrow in the markets. But what you do know, or what you should be able to do, is to educate your clients about how to responsibly take care of their own money. Episode one, Jason Stapleton. One of the things that, that you want is you, you want to own your life. One of the things that traders who come to me or all of them are trying to do is they're trying to gain some some sense of freedom in their life, whether it's financial freedom or, or freedom from a dead-end job or freedom from a boss that they hate or, or you know, they, they're just trying to create for themselves more freedom. But what they end up doing is they end up shackling themselves to somebody else and somebody else's system and somebody else's um, signal service or whatever the case may be. And so I think that um, that quote, while not directly related to trading, has you know, has some real correlation there. One of the things that, that I have always said is know where you're getting out before you get in. Um, know where you're going to have stops, know where you're getting out if you're wrong and know where you're getting out if you're right. Be able to define those before you put any money at risk. Because once you put, once you put money at risk, it's like you're wearing goggles, like beer goggles. Episode seven, Ryan Blair. And so a lot of times you have to be willing to risk it all. And a lot of times you have to be willing to walk away from a deal um, and that, you know, part of the negotiations, for example, in a recent contract I was negotiating, uh, I was, uh, there was a sum of money that was uh, due to be paid of something like $13 million. Um, and I said in, in negotiation, in the event that we have to pay that, um, we're not doing this deal. And uh, I was prepared to walk away and the other party wasn't. And as a result, um, you know, I, I ended up having a favorable negotiation at that time. Um, and it was rightful. So, but I was prepared to walk away from the deal. And if you're not prepared to walk away uh, and the other party knows that, then you're going to be out negotiated in many cases, or simply you won't have, you won't get uh, the best result possible for you, your family and your shareholders, which is what's most important in a business negotiation. You, you, your family, your shareholders, your employees, your customers, you know, the stakeholders. Episode 10, Doug Goldstein. Every move must have a purpose. All too often, amateur investors and amateur chess players they kind of move around because they can't quite figure out their strategy and they, they want to either they have to do something because in chess, when it's your turn, you have to move. Or in investing, they feel like, well, I better do something. And so they make a move that doesn't really have a purpose. And that's a huge mistake. The sixth habit or piece of advice is take responsibility for your actions. Episode one, Jason Stapleton. I actually get traders who come to me all the time who complain that the market gapped up on them and they think it was their broker's fault and they don't understand the way that they don't understand the way orders get routed or, or the way that the market actually works. And so rather than being mad at themselves or just throwing their hands up and saying, ah, you know what, the, the market did me one, 
they end up looking for somebody to blame. And that is a, you know, I know you didn't ask the question, but that's a, that's a real common problem among virtually all the traders that I end up working with is that all of them are, are tending to look outside of themselves for the reason that they've been a failure. Um, it's because my wife doesn't support me enough. It's because my broker's ripping me off. It's because, you know, I don't have the right system or I just, you know, the, the last guy, uh, you know, who I, who told me he was going to teach me how to trade screwed me over. Um, and, and one of the things that I spend a lot of time trying to get people to accept is that the reason they haven't had the success that they want is their fault. Um, they're, they're, the, they're in complete control. No one else is placing the trades but them. And if they're turning their money over to somebody else or if they're continuing to make bad decisions, that's nobody's fault but their own. And it's amazing when people take personal responsibility for that, the change that can then ensue. And so, um, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a huge problem with, I think we as human beings don't want to admit that we're the problem. Um, that the fact that we're fat is, is not because McDonald's has greasy cheeseburgers. It's because you like to roll through there three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the sooner you could admit that you're the cause of, of your problem, the sooner you can get to the solution. Episode 7, Ryan Blair. The path is all math, uh, which in essence means that you're reverse engineering or you're finding the mathematical equation to the result that you're looking for. And that could be a result of, you know, to fix any deficiency in your life or to improve something or, you know, uh, whatever, whatever that is, there's, there's generally a uh, mathematical path to it. And that can just simply be the number of steps in a formula or the amount of time that it takes for you to get the result that you're looking for. Um, and I look back at a lot of my decisions, reflecting on them and say, hey, maybe I didn't make the right decision, meaning there was another decision that was, would have been better. And maybe I didn't know of that uh, decision at the time, or maybe I did and I just I made the wrong decision because I had the wrong facts or the wrong uh, perhaps uh, intentions or emotions or whatever it was in the decision process that made me fail to make the right decision. I look at those types of things. I evaluate those types of things and then make adjustments and hopefully make better decisions in the future or make more of the right decisions. But in life, you know, you're going to make some bad decisions, particularly in business, because you can't, uh, you know, you don't always have all the facts or you can't predict the future or you don't know how the economy might change or how, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the capital markets might change or whatever it is that you're dependent on for your business. And so as a result of that, you know, sometimes you make a bad decision or the wrong decision. And if you do that, you just have to you know, assess it, understand it, and make better decisions. And eventually, you accumulate enough right decisions to where you've, um, you know, you've got success uh, monetarily and otherwise. Episode 10, Doug Goldstein. Personally, I tend to be more conservative. I, I look for ways of trying to uh, protect my, my business and my, my savings. And I, I'm constantly looking for problems coming up with solutions before the problems even arise so that they don't arise. The seventh personal habit or piece of advice is give yourself permission to fail and challenge yourself. Episode 12, Joran Bowman. I think a lot of it is really about letting yourself, you know, be free to explore kind of, you know, unusual areas and hobbies. And people tend to, it's a little bit like when you're in college, at least in the, the U.S. educational system, you know, people oftentimes are so focused on, all right, what classes do I need in order to, you know, get a job doing X, Y, Z. And you forget to take classes that are interesting, even though they might be about art history 
or you know English literature or uh, ceramics or whatever even you know things that things where it can be more difficult to get a, to find a career but those are things that make you a, a full human being and make you an interesting person and so I think com there's a little bit of of that in comedy in that you just kind of have to give yourself permission to to follow your follow your passions and to pursue something you know I think it was probably about ten years ago that I bought my website domain name standupeconomist.com and at the time you know I didn't really know if it was going to take off I just thought it was kind of a neat idea and I thought that there was some potential that something might happen. I wanted to see if it would play out and I gave myself permission to try it and I gave myself permission to fail and um, I think with a lot of creative endeavors that's kind of what you need to do. Episode 7, Ryan Blair. I fail forward and I try to draw from certain things whether it be my gang past or uh, maybe perhaps an investment that I made that didn't work out so well uh, and I've made plenty of those. Episode 2, Jason Stapleton. I, I think I'm a fairly disciplined person. Uh, my, my background in the Marine Corps uh, probably did a lot to instill that in me. I, I was always I, I made it into a very elite group when I was in the Marines, and I, I was never the fastest. I was never the strongest. I, I you know I was in, in terms of my physical. I'm never the smartest. That's for sure. Um, in, in terms of my physical and, and mental abilities, I was above average if you looked at the entire Marine Corps, but I was average in the unit that I was in. And one of the reasons I think I was successful is because I was, I just, I used to tell people I'm willing to work longer and harder and faster than anybody else. Uh, that's why I'm going to be successful. And I had spent, whether you talk about trading and the number of hours I spent reading and studying and practicing the amount of times that I, I just had my clock cleaned in the market and, and just picked myself back up and got right back to trading, or whether you talk about building Trade Empowered, which we bootstrapped uh, with $900 of our own money uh, that Todd and I put in to rent an, a, a two-bedroom apartment to start that company uh, in, into the multi-million dollar operation that it has become and the tens of thousands of traders that we've been able to work with and support through those transitions in their life, it all, it all wraps around just pure, raw determination and passion for what we do. And that's, I just tell guys, look, if this isn't really what you want to do, if you don't really want to be a trader, if you just kind of, ah, they think it'd be kind of cool as long as you don't have to work too hard and there's not, you don't have to put too much effort into it, then man, go find that one thing that you're passionate about. Go find that one thing that you need more than you need air. And when you find that, pursue that with all of the passion and vigor that you have. Um, but don't, don't do it here because this is reserved. This is a place where people who have to trade have to be. And, and it's where you're going to find those types of people will find the greatest success in this industry. And, uh, and so, because it's going to take a lot of work and there's going to be a lot of failure and there's going to be a lot of times that you're going to question whether or not you really want to be doing this and whether or not this is really right for you or not. And your ability to come through that is going to depend entirely upon how bad you want to be at the end of the road. And so hard work and dedication are critical to every aspect. And here is no different. Episode four, Jadreen Wooten. Whatever you think you can or you think you can't, uh, you're right. So it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter necessarily if you have the ability, if you think you have the ability when you start, uh, if you put your mind to it, um, you can achieve the things that you want to do. And if you don't think you can do it, then 
you know, that's also true. You're going to end up failing uh, because of self-defeat. And so I, I share that with my class uh, at the beginning of every semester. And I just say, hey, look, you know, this class is going to be hard. Um, if you really believe that you can do it and you put in the time and effort, uh, you're going to be successful. And if you go through each semester thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, congratulations, you're right again. Uh, you're going to struggle and you're not going to be able to do it. And so I use that, whether it's teaching, whether it's doing my research, um, or even just kind of day-to-day life, I, I try to push myself and challenge myself uh, to be better in whatever I'm doing. The eighth habit or piece of advice is to work hard and be disciplined. Episode 8, Robbie Butler. Hard work is everything and you know, nobody is born with an innate ability to do something. Um, and the harder you work, the easier things become. Um, and that applies to college, it applies to studying, it applies to sport, um, it applies to life in general. Um, and it's something I like to, I suppose, live by, that if you do work hard, you will get the returns. Um, it's not easy and people don't find it easy. And you can find, like, I mean, there's no shortcut anywhere worth going. But if you're prepared to put in the hard yards, I mean, the payoff is there. Hard work, particularly when you're studying a subject like economics, goes an awful long way. And and hopefully, I suppose, what we spoke about today is inspire people to take up the subject or, or think more about it. Episode 12, Joran Bowman. The most valuable habit at the moment is the newborn gets me up at four or five in the morning and sometimes I'll just feed her and then put her back down to sleep and then I'll stay up and, you know, get to spend two or three hours working when it's quiet and everybody everybody's asleep. I don't know if I have any particular, you know, noteworthy habits. I feel like I work pretty hard and um, I just try to set deadlines for myself and, and I'm happen. So it's a matter of cracking down and, and not spending all your time watching cat videos on the Internet, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't get much inspiration there anyway. Well, the, some of them are pretty, pretty cute, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you put a smile on your face and then move on. I, I do have something that, that I've gotten into that I, that I like. So, you know, we have a lot of coffee shops here in Seattle mm-hmm. and, um, there's one up the street from where we live that it's called Lighthouse Coffee, and it's a it's a serious coffee shop, which means that they don't have Wi-Fi. And what I've gotten in the habit of doing is is going up there often with my baby strapped onto my chest because um, she likes to nap in, at the coffee shop. She likes the noise and stuff there. And I'll bring my laptop and I'll and I'll do email, but I'll be offline, and so it, it's kind of an opportunity to clear out your inbox without fighting off all of the traffic that's kind of continuously coming in. And so I, I'll try to, you know, clear out my inbox or pare away some of the growth in my inbox while I'm offline, and then um, and then come back into the connected world and and send off all that all that email. And I think that's one way to, um, you know, it's a way to try to give myself a space to work on things that are other than just the oh I got an email oh I got an email and and uh, to make sure I have time for doing other things other than just email all the time is to is to go up there and really feel like I, I I've made progress in the battle against the email tide and then that gives me some license to spend time on other things. Episode five, Hector Avianita. You know, growing up again, I always told myself that I was going to do whatever it took to make sure that I was successful in life and make sure that I got out of that poverty that I had seen as a child, but. You know, I went to college, got, I, was a, I was an honor roll student, got straight A's, taking uh, advanced courses because I thought that that's what I had to do to become this success in life, right? right. I graduated co- uh, high school, was the first in my family to graduate high school, um, went off to college, and I had a very hard time initially, but I pulled through. And- Episode 2, Jason Stapleton. The real trick is the discipline piece. And most people, there, there are a huge number of people who do not have the commitment level necessary in order to play the game at this level because the problem is 
you know, when you're learning how to play football, there's a peewee league and then there's a, you know, a high school league and then there's a, a college league or university league. And then there are, is a semi-professional league and then there's a professional league. And at each stage of that, you've got people of like skill level or like, you know, not necessarily like talent, but you're all coming up together and you'll have natural people who are really good, but you get to learn the game competing against people who are of, of equal skill uh, as a whole. It's not like that here. In, in trading, I don't care what you're trading, you're going to go up against people who do this to feed their families. Uh, people who, who have millions and millions and millions of dollars in, in bonuses and commissions riding on their ability to extract money from the market. And if you're a part-timer, if you're a guy who's like, ah, you know, I think I'm going to try and get this trading thing down, you're, you're finished. Don't, don't come into it. Give your money to somebody else. Go find that one thing that you're really passionate about and pursue that. Because if you come into, into this arena with that attitude, you're going to get squashed. There's just too many people who really, really, or are really, really good at this. And it takes a constant, diligent effort in order for you to be successful uh, on top of that, you have to have the mental discipline and the fortitude to follow a plan even when the walls are coming down around you. And most people without some sort of support network or support mechanism can't do that. Episode 7, Ryan Blair. I've adopted that philosophy, seize the day. Um, and I guess one important thing for people, the listeners to, to hear is, you know, success is about beliefs, which are the things that you believe in. It's about your philosophies, which, you know, are your beliefs in action, your values, which are another form of action, um, you know, and, and, uh, and it's also about your skills. And so if you just work on all those things, you'll become successful. Um, and, you know, and, and that's pretty much it. And if you're a good person and you have good values, you'll become successful and you'll be able to have gratification and you'll be able to have fulfillment. And it's pretty simple when you break it down like that. And that's really what I've, what I've been able to do having been mentored by some great people. You know, I, I'm an idealist. Um, I, I like, to, I like to, to make things as good as I possibly can. And, um, you know, I, I also ask a lot of questions. Um, I ask a lot of questions of myself. Am I doing the right things? Am I making the right adjustments necessary for me to achieve the result that I want? I ask myself the question, you know, why not? So if I want, you know, uh, a vacation and I can't afford one, then I go, well, why can't I afford one and someone else can? And, you know, and generally there's, there's a reason for that. Maybe you haven't properly saved or you, you don't have enough income coming in or whatever the case is. If I want a, a new car that I really would like to have and, and, you know, and I can't afford it, you know, I'll ask myself why not. And eventually, you know, I asked that question enough times and I got the new car or I got the vacation or I got the houses or I got the, the stuff that I wanted. The ninth habit or piece of advice is don't settle, choose adventure, and fulfill your potential. Episode 2, Jason Stapleton. There are no shortage of, and Frank, I'm sure you know this, uh, you know, because you're, you're you know, an entrepreneurial guy and, and, and uh, you know, uh, somebody who is, you know, kind of sticking his neck out with the show and everything that you're doing. But there are no shortage of people in this world who will drag you down to seek to drag you down to some level of mediocrity that they are comfortable with. Either because looking at you and your success and what you're doing will diminish them and their stature, 
or simply because it will destroy internally their own self-esteem. And you have to fight that with everything that is in you because at every step of your journey, at every failure, there will be people there with the best of intentions seeking to rub dirt in that wound and say, well, you know, I tried to warn you, tried to tell you that this wasn't going to be a good idea. I don't know what you're doing. You should have heard when I decided I was going to leave my job overseas where we were paid very, very well. And I said, yeah, I'm going to go home and be a trader. And I knew I was, take, I was taking a pay cut to go home because I didn't have the capital yet to be able to recoup the total amount of money that I was making in my, in my, uh, in my work overseas. And people said, you're nuts, man. You're crazy. You leave this job, you're never, I mean, it's going to take you forever to get back on contract. You're never going to be successful at this. And I just said, I, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm already successful. I know what I'm doing. They're like, ah, whatever. You know, they just, they didn't want to see me get out of that business, that lifestyle and, and go and achieve, uh, you know, a dream of mine. And they weren't doing it out of malice or out of spite. They weren't bad people. They were friends of mine. They were doing it with the best of intentions. But you're going to come to, to, into, into contact with people that are going to challenge your resolve. And they're going, to, they're going to do it with the best of intentions. They're going to cause you to question. They're going to cause you to, uh, you know, to, to blink. And you have to cut away from that. Don't allow that. Most people in life settle for some level of mediocrity between total failure and their true potential. They just settle in life. I guess. And if I was gonna if I was gonna say something to to your listeners, I would just simply say, "Don't settle." I don't care what it is you do. Don't settle. Be exceptional at what you do. That's it. Episode twelve. You're on Borman. I think that I made a decision a few years ago to um, when I had choices in front of me in terms of life choices that I was gonna I was gonna choose the path of adventure. And that's turned out to work really well for me. And I think that it's something that could work well, you know, for, for many other people as, as well. And I, I think it's something that, um, you know, there's this constant pressure in life that you're not good enough. Maybe you have a PhD in economics, but you're not a professor at Harvard or, you know, things like that. And um, I just, for a while now, have been lucky enough. And I think many people are in a, are, are in a similar position. I'm lucky enough that, you know, I'm doing all right with my income and my living and, I'm in a position where I can take some chances and I don't have to, you know, pursue the resume builder and I don't have to take the conventional path. And I think that's, I think that's true for a lot of people. I think if a lot of people stop and kind of, you know, look in the mirror, especially college educated folks, uh, I think that they're kind of, in many ways, they're already winners. And when you're already a winner, then you can afford to, to take some risks and take some chances. And that's, I think, where that idea comes from, that I like to, to choose the path of adventure. You know, it started with going to the college I went to. It was a small liberal arts school. It's actually most famous as being the place that Steve Jobs went to for a semester before he dropped out, uh, Reed College in Portland, Oregon. I wasn't sure I was going to like it there, but I want, it was the adventurous choice. And so, that, so that's, the, that's what I did, and I ended up loving it. And comedy was an adventure, and that's turned out pretty well. And it, you know, it's not like all the adventures work out, but but enough of them do that that uh, that I'm, I'm happy to, to continue pursuing that path in life. Episode seven, Ryan Blair. I think the most important thing that that I, I try to show people is that opportunity exists all around you if you're looking for it and if you train yourself in how to see it. Uh, so you know, start there. Um, I, I was sharing with a friend. I have this you know this wonderful garden that I've been working on, and it's a kind of a passion project of mine. And I said, if I sat in this garden, I could probably find an opportunity 
to become an entrepreneur to some degree or another and, and be successful. It's just a matter of sitting in the garden and thinking about it and looking at the opportunity. Now, my passion is not entrepreneurial uh, uh, gardening, uh, uh, but that said, if that's somebody, if some, if that's somebody, somebody's passionate, some, something somebody's passionate about, then they could very well create a great business around that subject and have a fulfill, level of fulfillment that they're probably not having, having now. Episode 9, Naomi Brockwell. Um, you know what? I, I love quotes. I love affirmations. I use a lot of them. I am a subscriber to Louise Hay's uh, daily positive affirmations and a bunch of mailing lists. Um, I just really like people who are inspiring. And I like reading their biographies. And I guess a, a mantra that I would live by is that I think, we, I think we really underestimate what we can achieve. And if we can remember that so much more is possible than we may think, I think that's a, a good way to, way to live because it just encourages you to, to press your boundaries and explore new horizons and really see what your potential is, really try to fulfill your potential. I think that's the greatest thing that a human can do. I think that we, we just try and figure out what our potential is and try to achieve that. The tenth habit or advice is be careful who you listen to. Episode two, Jason Stapleton. Shut off the noise. You, you don't need to. Let me tell you something. You don't need to watch CNBC um, or Bloomberg. Uh, you, you would probably do a good job of. You could probably fade those news organizations and do just fine. Episode four, Jadrian Wooten. Even though Jim Cramer is often wrong, there are a lot of people who don't know finance um, that are investing in Jim Cramer. I mean, it's kind of scary knowing that. You know, these guys aren't that accurate, but because they're displaying this level of confidence, it's um, people are buying that. People are buying that confidence um, on television. It's a little scary uh, knowing that that stuff actually happens. Episode six, Andrew Heaton. Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm very much an optimist, and and I'm not an optimist because uh, I I think that it's healthier or anything like that. I'm an optimist because of the empirical data that I've looked at, uh, and when you when you look at any of these situations where you have people you know, crying doomsday scenarios, there's two things to keep in mind. One, it's always going to get more attention and generally more popularity to be the doomsday prophet than it is to be the one guy in the room going, no, things are probably going to be okay. That guy's not really going to get a lot of media spotlight time. He's not likely to get a lot of, you know, uh, jeering crowds with with pitchforks and things to, to go take care of the monster. Uh, but uh, oftentimes that person's right. The 11th habit and piece of advice is to read. Education is important. Episode 7, Ryan Blair. I'm a, I, I read uh, constantly. And I also, I, I find myself now more than ever utilizing Audible, which uh, in essence, you can just download the audio book. Um, and, uh, you know, I listen to it. And I'll go on a hike and listen to the book. Or I'll go get a workout and listen to a book. Or go in my sauna. Or, you know, or um, you know I, I'm always... Uh, uh, absorbing new content from thought leaders on a variety of subjects. What I try to tell people is you can do so much in two years or, you know, and, and, and certainly I'm, I'm living proof of that. So yeah, I, I did find a learning strategy, which for me, it was auditory learning. Um, I would play uh, uh, much like this program that we're on now. I would play programs. I would find audio tapes. Uh, this was prior to the internet's mass population. And certainly the use of audio on the internet had not yet been commercialized. So we couldn't go to YouTube or we couldn't go to uh, audible.com or some of these other different uh, services that are out there and listen to audio tapes or Skype or, uh, you know, the variety of, of, of programs that are out there and podcasts like this one. Mm-hmm. Those weren't available. So uh, I would get tapes and I would listen to the tapes over and over and over and I would listen to them while I was sleeping. Uh, and I would listen to tapes like on vocabulary, on science, 
to fill the gaps of education. And because I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, it was really easy for me to then uh, associate learning with growth as an entrepreneur. Uh, and I became a voracious student. I still am constantly learning and growing and, and educating myself, uh, you know, both through seminars, uh, through surrounding myself with, with you know, thought leaders and uh, very creative people. Uh, and then as well as, you know, scouring the Internet for articles uh, so that I can learn. So I, I became a, a student and I still am a student. And I guess now I'm a student and a teacher. Episode four, Jadrian Mutna. You'll be successful in this class. You'll be successful as an adult and you'll be successful in life if you just read. Um, and I think that that's important for teaching, for teachers, for researchers, for any learners. Um, dedicate time in your day to reading. Uh, it doesn't have to be academic. Um, it can be just books in general. Um, and I think reading is kind of one of those lost arts of, and probably 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 one of the the sad parts about digitization is that we're not dedicating the same amount of time to reading that we used to. Um, so I think the more you read, even again books that aren't academic, you can you can see applications uh, to maybe what you're teaching in a book about in Moby Dick. Right? I can I can find labor economic topics in Moby Dick. Um, I can find scorecasting, which isn't about economics initially, but then when you read it, you realize, hey, there's a lot of loss aversion, a lot of stuff in here. So I think re- reading is important for teaching, for coming up with research ideas, and, and even for learning economics. It, it starts with reading. Uh, so you can get better at, at just about anything just by reading. Episode 8, Robbie Butler. So because we all learn in very different ways, we need to teach in such a way that tries to capture uh, or tries to hit as many forms of uh, multiple intelligence theory as we possibly can. I suppose from from a teaching perspective, I, you know, I, something I find as a teacher is I, I constantly try and update the material that I teach because I find they go stale very quickly. And in terms of a research perspective and trying to get research done, that doesn't always sit well with that. Now, I try and incorporate the research into my teaching, particularly with the sports economics and getting stuff, you know, out there and potentially published. But you know, I think, and I, I, I'd advise that to anybody that's teaching, be it undergrad or postgrad or whatever, is you know, to try and keep the material as current as they possibly can. Not even for the sake of the student, for the sake of yourself, that uh, you do go stale and you know, it does become routine and quite monotonous. And to avoid that, to escape that, to try and you know, keep, keep the stuff sharp. Episode 10, Doug Goldstein. When planning for a year, plant corn. When planning for a decade, plant trees. When planning for a life, train and educate people. Love it. Follow that. You know, think about that. Apply that to your life. And if you want to be a long-term success, start with education. Episode 9, Naomi Brockwell. Yeah, I hope that this sort of provides a, a bridge for people who don't really understand these issues and those who are very economically and technologically literate. I, I hope to provide that sort of a bridge through videos because I think it's a very ingre- engaging format. The 12th habit or piece of advice is that laughter can help you learn. Episode 11, Steve Keen. In Economics Deserves Comedy, I got approached by a cartoonist, Miguel Guerra, to produce a cartoon book of debunking economics. And he's got himself and his wife, Susie Diaz, who's a layout artist, working with a blogger, a Canadian blogger called Genevieve Tran. And they're going to write uh, a cartoon a book, or they call a graphic novel version of debunking economics, with the first issue being on money and the overall title being Crash, Boom, Pop. And Miguel draws to Marvel comic standards, and they're, you know, Genevieve's a great writer as well. So I expect to see a, 
a lively visual explanation of the critiques of economics and alternative ways to think about it and how money is actually created and so on uh, that I think will be a lot more accessible than debunking economics, even though I tried as hard as I could to make uh, that uh, easy to read. It's still you know, a very challenging and a very heavy, very text-heavy book. So here's a chance to try to make the critical views on economics accessible through a cartoon book. Episode 12, you're on Borman. Comedy is a fun way to make economics more accessible in an intro that's going to get people to the point where, you know, where they're interested enough that they're going to, that they're going to read the textbook. And I had so much fun that I kind of got into stand-up comedy as a hobby. So that was, uh, that was really the genesis of it was the, the Annals of Improbable Research Humor Session at the American Association for the Advancement of Science Conference in Seattle in 2004. And from that point forward, you know, I got into comedy as a hobby and then, um, and then I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I guess two things happened. One was that my academic career wasn't going quite as well as I'd hoped. And then it turned out that, that comedy was both uh, an interesting way to talk to people and communicate with different audiences about, you know, environmental taxes and things that are important to me and about economics. And it also turned out to be sort of surprisingly lucrative. You know, anytime you can try to reach out to people and humanize the subject, humanize yourself as an instructor, I think that that's, that's helpful. And humor has a way of uh, humor has a way of motivating people. And, I, and, 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 uh, especially I feel like at the college level, we, you know, teachers forget how important motivation is, but you, you learn that when you teach high school, which I've done and, um, uh, you know, trying to give people an incentive to crack open the textbook other than the fact that their grade depends upon it, but there's actually some interesting content in economics and, and, um, uh, that's kind of what we try to do with the cartoon books. And that's what I try to do with some of my comedy. Episode six, Andrew Heaton. And on top of that, the other thing that I, I think uh, humor is great about is uh, if, let's say, um, you've got you know a, a huge Hayekian proponent and you've got uh, a huge Keynesian proponent, uh, they might otherwise argue. And when you start arguing with somebody, your adrenaline level shoots up. Uh, just on, on a biochemical level, you become much less uh, able to hear what they're saying because you're taking a defensive posture. Uh, conversely, when you're laughing you produce endorphins. Yeah. And, and if, if, I can, if I can make you laugh, um, for a moment, you're willing to listen to me, just for a moment. Uh, and I, and I kind of think that's what my calling is. I mean, I'm, I'm not really in it to, to try and uh, so much persuade people as I am to just make people laugh and kind of make them think under the general theory that uh, there are a lot of other people far more intelligent than myself. And if I can kind of get the gears running in them, maybe they'll produce some cool stuff. Uh, and with, with economics, I mean, I think economics is a little bit less... Um, it's a little bit less divisive than, say, straight-up politics if we were talking policy. Um, but it, it, it does also have that, that aforementioned reputation of, of being you know, the dismal science and all that. So if you can make it funny, it sweetens it, and then I think people are willing to watch it. Thirteenth habit or piece of advice is pay yourself first and clear your debts. Episode 3. Aaron Lowry. Sure. I mean, the one that I personally subscribe to and harp on all the time with people, and it truly does not matter your age, is to what I say, pay yourself first. And that's just a different way of saving, saying save your money. But ultimately, I think a lot of people are in more of a habit of paying all their bills, doing everything else that they have to do in the month, you know, the grocery shopping, the entertainment, the little things that pop up here and there. And then at the end of the month, people think, oh, I have a little bit left over, let me put it in savings. And I would really like people to reverse that mentality. And as soon as you get your paycheck, the first thing that you need to do is pay yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get a lot of eye rolls from people that are also millennials, especially the younger ones, because they say, oh, I have so much debt. 
I have all this stuff that I have to pay off first. I'm young. I don't make much money. Like, why would I bother saving right now? And I say, even if it's only $2 out of every paycheck, just get in the habit of doing it. Even if you're just putting it into a jar on your desk, although really it should be going into a savings account so you can be getting interest. But regardless, um, it just is building the habit now so that when you get a better paying job or you get a raise at work or you get a promotion or you even get a job after college that isn't just working at Starbucks or being an usher at a movie theater, you know, that's when the habit's already there and it's going to be much, much easier for you to continue saving. You know, if you wait until you're 28 to 30 when you're making a little bit more money, the debt doesn't feel quite so burdensome, then you might not have the mentality and you've lost a lot of years of accruing compound interest. You also might not have started saving for retirement as soon as you can. So I always tell people, pay yourself first. Episode 5, Hector Avianita. So for anyone who is going to college or who is thinking about going to college today, I would say, you know, do some real research and figure out, you know, what uh, pay expectations you will have upon graduation. And with that said, make sure that, you know, if you are going to go to college, major in, in a degree that will will be able to sustain your, your way of life that you want to live. And if you don't want to major in something like engineering or uh, computer science or computer development, because that's just not what you're passionate for, then don't take on any student debt. Um, it's as simple as that. Episode 10, Doug Goldstein. I tend to be an anti-debt person. The mortgage, I think, is the best debt you can have, but it's still evil in my eyes. But the worst debts that people have, I mean, the very worst ones might be uh, personal loans or payday loans. But there are car loans and there's credit card debt, and you have to get rid of all that stuff as soon as possible. Set a goal, like we talk about in the book, say I'm X number of dollars in debt, and I want to be out of debt and then, you know, in 12 months or 24 months. It's not that hard. The math is not so complicated to figure out how to do it. You just have to decide to do it. If you're married, turn to your spouse, and the two of you together should do it. Episode 7, Ryan Blair. Uh, I have a quote that I say, the path is all math, uh, which in essence means that you're reverse engineering or you're finding the mathematical equation to the result that you're looking for. And that could be a result of, you know, to fix any deficiency in your life or to improve something or, you know, uh, whatever, whatever that is, there's, there's generally a... Uh, mathematical path to it and that could just simply be the number of steps in a formula or the amount of time that it takes for you to get the result that you're looking for but understanding the math behind things is very important thank you for joining me on economic rockstar would you like to be part of the economic rockstar community get free access to webinars extra content and updates on free podcast episodes well why not head over to economicrockstar.com and sign up to get access to this exclusive content only available to economic rockstar subscribers See you next time.